and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't clicked subscribe or that follow button, be sure you go ahead and do so. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning that you're going to want to check out. Yes. And speaking of episodes, today's episode is excellent. The first segment we're going to have is teaching your dog to drop it. Yes, there's a lot of good commands out there, and drop it is one of those key components, key commands that you have to have in your arsenal. Then after that, we're going to have a segment called a dog's state of mind. Very important segment. Honestly, a dog's state of mind is everything when it comes to training and working with them in a good, cohesive way. Then we'll have our breed of the week, followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get going with today's episode, got to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, what mammal has the strongest bite in the world? What mammal has the strongest bite in the world? And I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's episode. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, teaching your dog to drop it. The drop it command goes a long way, right? What a handy command to have. Um, Now, whether it's just playtime and you want your dog to relinquish a toy to you, or maybe you have a puppy that grabs things that it shouldn't, right? We all go through that with dogs and puppies. And the drop it command is, is well, quite frankly, the best way to get your dog to, well, drop it. <laughs> now, the drop it command goes along with four of my other commands. I, I have five basic commands that every dog should know. You know I feel every dog should know. Uh, those commands are, of course, the drop it command, the leave it command, sit, stay, and lie down. Now, first, I just want to distinguish between drop it and leave it. Drop it is once a dog has something in its mouth, you need them to relinquish. Leave it is they don't have it yet and you want them to leave it alone, right? So leave it would be used for you drop some food you don't want them to touch. Hey, leave it. You're walking down the street and you don't want to say hi to that person coming up. Hey, leave it. (laughs) Your dog sees a squirrel, leave it. Uh, That's where the leave it command comes in. It's pretty versatile, but it's when the dog doesn't have something. Drop it is once it's in their mouth and that's where the drop it command needs to be used. Okay, so the drop it command is useful for a lot of different things, really. Now, the first thing I want to touch on is, like I said, playtime. Now, I talk about it a lot with playtime. There should be structure to playtime. I compare it like going to the playground. You know, you're not going to take a little kid to the playground the first time and go, well, I haven't taught you how to share. I haven't taught you how to be around other kids in a cohesive way. Hey, you know what? Go have fun, right? What could go wrong? Uh, (laughs) Probably a lot. So it's no different with your dogs. It's no different. And if you think about it, you know, doggy day camp, boarding facilities, a lot of times they have a, um, a temperament test, right? They test your dog's temperament and see how they are because your dog needs to know rules, boundaries, some discipline, of course, on being able to get along and play and socialize with other dogs. It should be no different for your playtime and your socialization with your dog as well. And the drop it command is a wonderful way to create that structure, right? I really highly recommend incorporating the drop it command into playtime because then it also becomes fun for the dog. And it's not just like this, anytime it's in trouble, it has to drop something, right? Like think about it that way. 
I want the drop a command to not be like this angry, oh, you need to drop it, or oh, I'm going to chase you around the house because you need to give that to me. I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to associate necessarily only bad, horrible things with a drop it command. So the drop it, uh, put, putting a drop it command with playtime can be so useful for so many reasons. And one of the biggest ones is, like I said, your dog's not just going to immediately associate bad or undesirable things with the drop it command if you can incorporate it in playtime in a healthy way, okay? So again, I can teach my dog to drop a tennis ball. If I have a retriever, teach them to drop the tennis ball, I throw the tennis ball. They bring it back to me, I say drop it. They drop the tennis ball, I throw There's a great way to drop it command is awesome, helpful, and fun for your dog, right? Same thing with a toy. Uh, let's say things are, you know, look, I mean, I, I, I go through teaching a lot of different behaviors, right? And a lot of different behavioral issues. And so let's say I have a dog here who maybe has some possessive issues, well, if they're possessive over dog toys with other dogs, and all of a sudden I hear a growl out of them, one of the best ways to punish that behavior is by making that dog relinquish the toy and then giving that toy to whichever dog it just growled at. That's a great form of punishment because it shows that dog, oh man, growling didn't make that dog go away. And not only that, I lost possession of that thing I was trying to be possessive over. That didn't work for me, right? What's the definition of punishment, guys? Anything an animal works to avoid, right? So another simple way to look at it is the opposite of what the animal wants. So again, if the dog is trying to be possessive over a toy and and I create the opposite uh, consequence for it, then it's not going to work and they're not going to want to do it again, right? Um, so again, you know, the drop it, like I can go into like, I, I don't want to dive off the deep end of the drop it command and how useful it is. <laughs> I want to try to stay on track here. But, um, you know, sometimes I go, I know I get a little crazy. My, my brain is probably insane <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So how do we do it? All right. We, we know, we know the great uses of a drop it command, but how do we get our dogs to drop it? Now guys, it always starts with this. Whenever we're training our dog, you got to leash them up. You have to be able to have some control, even if they're just dragging the leash around, you have to be able to have some control over your dog and leashing them up is the best way to do it. It's the best way to be able to guide and direct behavior. So look, I, I, I sound like a broken record, but whenever we're training our dog and how many of my segments are about dog training, the whole thing. Um, so I've probably said this a lot of times now, but you got to leash up your dog. It's the only way to be able to properly guide and direct your dog and, and do it in a good way. All right. So leash up your dog. Okay. And I usually like to start with a toy. I think it's the best way to introduce a drop it is with a toy because we can easily reward it quickly. Okay. Um, and what I mean by this is, okay, so let's, let's say we are playing tug of war with our dog's favorite toy and we're tugging and we're having fun and you know, and all is well, and they're not growling. They're being good. Let's say, let's just assume our dog knows how to play tug of war in a good way. Right. And then we want them to drop the toy. The easiest way to start introducing this is, you know, you're moving around, you're, you're shaking the toy, you're playing with them. And what you're going to do is immediately stiffen up and say, drop it. Stop your movement, stop moving, stiffen up your arm and just say the word drop it once. Okay, now the dog at this point is most likely going to want to try to keep pulling and keep shaking the toy on you and keep playing, right? But you're going to try to remain still, remain calm and say that drop it command once. Wait five, maybe 10 seconds and then say it again if they haven't relinquished it yet. Now, 
what what we're trying to kind of accomplish here is two things. Number one, I'm trying to make it boring. <laughs> when I say drop it, it's not really fun anymore to keep playing with me because I don't keep playing back. Guess what? That's a form of punishment. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. So there's the first thing that we're trying to accomplish is I'm trying to not make it so much fun. And the second thing I'm trying to do is make them understand there's a difference between what I was just doing, playing, and everything was fine, and then all of a sudden when I say the word drop it, everything changes. My body language changes, the playtime changes, the rules change. That's how we start creating a boundary, making the dog understand there's a difference between me not saying drop it and me saying drop it, okay? So again, to me, this is the easiest way. We're playing, we're playing tug of war, and then I'm moving, I'm shaking the toy, he's shaking it back, we're having fun, all is well, and I all of a sudden I'm gonna go drop it. And when I do, I stiffen up my arm, I stop playing, I stop moving, and I wait. If they don't do it again, drop it. Or excuse me, if they don't relinquish it, drop it. I say it again. I wait. Now again, a lot of times, guys, most of the time I find the dog gets very bored and they're like, well, this isn't fun anymore. And they let go of the toy. And the second they let go of the toy, you're going to go, good boy, good girl. And of course, we're going to have our treat pouch already on us and we're going to give them a treat. The second they relinquish it, good boy, treat and praise everything. I want to reinforce and strengthen that behavior of them relinquishing and letting go and dropping the toy, right? So I can say, good, good, drop it. Good boy. Good, right? Just like that. Take the toy back out. Start enticing them to play again. Start playing again. We're going to rinse and repeat this, okay? Same thing. Going to say, drop it. Stiffen up. Stop moving. Usually by even sometimes only the second time, but usually about the third, fourth, fifth time somewhere in there, the dog starts really making this connection of, oh my gosh, every time you say drop it, I get food. Uh, yeah, no problem. No brainer. (laughs) Easy peasy, man. I'll do this all day. Um, and before you know it, your dog really understands to drop it. And that's why I like using the toy because it ends up becoming fun. It's almost like a game for them. And before you know it, dropping it, it just becomes this autopilot thing of, oh, you say drop it and I drop it, right? Um, then we can take it up a notch. Now let's say, let's go find, let's go find your dog's favorite toy. Let's, let's take the motivation of everybody knows it. Every, every client I ever ask, what's your dog's favorite toy? They always know the answer. You know your dog. Um, of course, find your dog's favorite toy. That's how we take it up and see if they're really listening and they really will drop it and relinquish the toy, Okay. If you're doing great with that, you can move on to anything else. And then we can start making drop it, you know, anything they shouldn't have in their mouth, right? You can start associating it there. But honestly, guys, to me, it just starts with the playtime. If you really hone in on that with a toy, with 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 their favorite toy, and you really, you really hone in on that drop it command, reinforcing it once they do, you'll discover drop it will be no problem. Now, <laughs> there's another, there, before, before I start, before I'm going to, uh, talk about an example of a client uh, with the dropping command. Before we get into this, uh, there is one other one other thing we can do here. There, there's another option uh, besides just trying to wait out a dog. And the other thing with this other option is, to me, it's kind of the safety option. If your dog grabs a hold of something they really should, all right. First of all, and I'm kind of I'm sorry I'm jumping around because there's there's a few different points I want to make here, and I want to make sure I I kind of you know say it clearly. Um, <laughs> okay. First of all, if your dog grabs something they shouldn't, and I know this is really hard, (laughs) like this is really hard. If your dog grabs something they shouldn't, the worst thing you can do is panic, freak out, and chase them around. 
because all that communicates to them is, oh, it's playtime. Sweet. You're going to chase me. Awesome. And before you know it, your dog thinks, hey, every time I grab this thing, I really <laughs> every time I grab this thing, they, they, they just they go into play mode and it's going to want to keep going after that thing. OK, and again, if it's dangerous for them to have the last thing you want to do is create a keep away situation. So I know this is really hard, um, but you have to keep your cool. You have to just kind of relax and go, hey, drop it. This is why it's important. Look, especially if you have a puppy, this is why it's really important from day one. From day one, no matter how young, I mean, really, well, the exception of like really young, um, there's really, uh, you know, even you'd be surprised at eight to 10 weeks what you can teach your dog, guys. Um, if you start early with this drop it stuff, you know, with this drop it command, really strengthening, reinforcing that behavior of relinquishing things to you, then once they do grab something they shouldn't, all you'll have to do is look at them and go, hey, drop it. They'll drop it and it won't be a big deal. But the more you make something a big deal, the more you make something a forbidden fruit, the more you freak out about it, the more it makes your dog want it more or play keep away more. Okay, so I know this is really tough to ask because, hey, we're all humans at the end of the day. Uh, but you you have to you have to try to remain calm when they grab something, even if it's something they shouldn't have. Okay. With that said, really, guys, the best way the best way to to get your dog to drop something that they shouldn't have in their mouth is to teach them a drop it with a toy or something that's safe to begin with. Like I, this is this is a very important detail. The best way to head off bad behaviors and undesired behaviors is to get ahead of them. So the best way to get your dog to, and look, especially if you've got a puppy, look, here's the reality. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you the reality of it, guys. If you have a puppy, at some point, your puppy's going to get a hold of something they shouldn't have. That's just part of owning a puppy. And especially if you have a mouthy breed, a retriever, right? Especially retrievers, then yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be dealing with this. So the best way, the best way to, to not deal with it is to be ahead of it. Teach your, teach your dog a drop it command with toys, with things that are healthy, with bones, with sticks, with stuff, things that aren't going to harm them. So that way, when they do get something that could potentially harm them, when they do grab something, you've already strengthened and conditioned that drop it command so much that all you have to do is look at your dog and go drop it. Guys, that's, that's really the reality. Now, <laughs> once again, before I get to the client example, um, you know, I find that most people don't spend enough extra time practicing in any of these behaviors, not in the con not not in the context of it happening in the moment, right? So again, if we have a dog who likes to grab things and they're not dropping dropping it or relinquishing it, then what most likely what that means is the owner is not spending enough time outside of that dog stealing stuff, reinforcing and strengthening the drop it command. You know, it's the same thing when I talk about the front door. When someone comes to the front door, if your dog's very excitable and you haven't practiced a sit and stay at the front door without someone coming to the front door, if you haven't practiced that and strengthened that behavior, then unfortunately your dog, you know, I, I, unfortunately your dog's going to lose it. And then when you try to practice it in the moment, we have a really exciting stimulus at the door. We haven't strengthened that behavior. And so no wonder the dog's not going to stay. Okay. So it's something that's, I think a little difficult because this is, this is the part of training where you have to set aside 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there to work on these things individually, to set your dog up to fail in a controlled way. So that way in the end, you can set them up for success. Okay. 
really, really important detail. You have to take the time to practice these things beforehand in order to have success with them in the moment, right? Okay, so um, these clients, I love them. They're great. I've, I've really enjoyed working with them. Uh, they're, they're really a wonderful family. And they have a great dog. I love their dog too. <laughs> I really do. Uh, he's, he's a good boy. But he has a habit of stealing things he shouldn't. And it's off the counter. It's things like that. And we're working through it still. And he's gotten a hold of some pretty bad things, unfortunately. <laughs> they really just, oof, it, it can be a little dangerous, guys. It really can. And so, you know, Teaching this drop it command, like I said, really, I think at the end of the day, what, what we have is maybe we're not practicing and strengthening that enough. And so in the moment, that's maybe why my client's having a little bit of issues with it. We have to practice it more. Uh, we have to practice it a lot ahead of time. Again, I'm just, I'm just going to stress it again, because really, this is the way, this is the way you get your dog to drop it in a, in a bad moment right? Uh, you have to practice it ahead of time. So the other thing is, and I, you know, I don't know for certain that this is necessarily the case, but more exercise. If your dog is getting into things on the counter and they're making trouble for themselves, really is kind of the way you can look at it, then most likely your dog is not getting enough exercise. And I, you know, look, I say it all, I say it a lot. It's going to be really hard for you to get your dog's energy fully out, especially if you have a puppy. Most people, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but it's just the reality. You know, look, guys, we've got jobs. We've got all kinds of, uh, if you have kids, if you have distractions, all kinds of you know, things that pull you, life. If you have life <laughs> getting in the way, which you should, you know, right? Um, then we can't always dedicate as much time to our dogs as maybe they they, they could use. Uh, that's why we have doggy day camps. That's why we have those kind of fun things too. Great supplements. Um but, but you have to you have to kind of realize that. And if your dog is getting themselves into trouble, you need to look at it and go, oof, have we been exercising enough? Is this a high energy breed? Are we really walking him enough? So while the drop it command can go a long way, if your dog is really understimulated, the drop it command is only going to get you so far. Like I'll be honest, I say it a lot. Commands, just because your dog knows how to sit, it doesn't mean they know how to listen. And just because your dog knows how to sit doesn't mean they're fulfilled, doesn't mean they're getting their energy out. I know plenty of crazy hyper dogs, unfortunately, um, <laughs> the owners are not doing enough to get the energy out and not mentally fulfilling them. But the dog knows how to sit real well, right? The dog knows how to sit really well. Uh, that's fantastic, but it's not taking care of all the other issues, right? So again, commands are a wonderful tool. It's just that commands to me are no different than a leash. They're no different than a collar. They're no different than a treat. They're no different than a crate. They're a tool. And while I, I want to have as many tools in my tool belt as I can fit, I can't rely on only one tool. So when we do talk about a drop it command, yes, teaching the dog to drop it is very important, but are we hitting it from every angle? Are we also exercising our dog enough? Are we giving them enough mental fulfillment? Because if your dog is getting themselves into trouble, and grabbing things they shouldn't, like I said, traffic command will get us a lot of the way there. But if we're not giving them fulfillment, they may just go right back to it tomorrow, right? Um, so think think about that. The drop it command, we have to come at it from a, a few different angles, right? Uh, like I said, it's part of my core commands. Drop it, leave it, sit, stay, and lie down. My five core commands that I believe every dog should know because commands are useful. They're a great tool. So the drop it command can be used for toys. I think that's where you should start. 
You should start teaching the drop it command using toys, making it fun. Associating drop it as a good thing, as a, as, a, as an excitable, not excitable, excuse me, <laughs> but as a as a as a desirable thing that your dog wants to do. And that's why I think starting with a toy is good. Then we can move it up to other things, and before you know it, your dog will drop anything you ask them to, whether it's good, bad. Um, then of course, you know, if you if you have a puppy and they grab a hold of something you don't want, drop it command is useful for that as well. So how do we teach our dogs that drop it? We're gonna start with that toy, we're gonna be playing with them, tug of war, all that good stuff. When we're ready, we're gonna say drop it, stiffen up, stop the movement, stop playing. Wait for your dog to relinquish the toy to you. Don't say drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it. <laughs> right? Give your dog five to ten seconds, let them think about it, right? Once they do drop it, immediately we're going to praise them, tell them, good boy, good girl, give them treats, give them affection. Really make sure you're reinforcing and strengthening that behavior of them relinquishing the toy to you, right? Because in the end, that's what we're trying to teach. Okay? Once your dog relinquishes the toy, you've reinforced it, we go back to playing, and you rinse and repeat it, right? Okay, so... Let's also remember that when we're working with them on a drop it, the worst thing we can do is chase after our dog. If they grab a hold of something they shouldn't have, screaming at them, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it. No, don't do that. You got to fight your instinct. <laughs> you have to try to remain calm. And I know it's not an easy thing to ask of you, but you have to really try to remain calm. Look at your dog and go drop it. Nice and calmly, not making it a big deal. The more you make it a big deal, the more they're going to want to keep doing it. But as we talked about, guys, the best way, the best way to get your dog to drop it in a moment where it's something they really need to drop, you really need them to drop, the best way is to practice the drop it command a thousand times before they ever find something that they shouldn't have. If we strengthen and condition and reinforce that drop it command with things like toys and things that are safe for your dog that aren't going to harm them, then once your dog does grab something they shouldn't have, you should be able to look at them, say drop it, and they'll do it immediately without any problems. But that's only if you've taken the time to strengthen and reinforce that drop it behavior. Okay, so just remember guys, training's a process. It takes time, it takes repetition, and it takes consistency. If everybody in the family can put in 10, 10 minute sessions a couple times a day, handful of times a day with something like a drop it, you'll be surprised how quickly your dog will learn it and how quickly you will strengthen that behavior over and over and over so in any moment you can get your dog to drop it. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Up on Speak a Dogcast, your dog's state of mind. Now, state of mind is everything. 
whether you are a dog or a person, your state of mind is going to affect, well, your everyday activity, right? As a human being, we think about our own state of mind and um, think about when you wake up in a bad mood, right? You wake up on the wrong side of the bed, guilty. Uh, <laughs> I used to be more of a morning, morning person when I was younger, maybe the older I get and uh, not so much, <laughs> as much as I used to be. I wish I was. Still love the mornings, but maybe I'm not the, the happiest go luckiest until I've had my coffee. Um, and, you know, it's, it's state of mind. However, there are some mornings I do. I wake up just feeling good. Everybody can relate to that. You just feel great. And then what happens that day is awesome because you put yourself in a good state. Or again, maybe you just woke up in a good state of mind. And people who can really master that, master their own state of mind, master their emotions, tend to be more productive, you know, and unfortunately. <laughs> fortunately for them, unfortunately for those of us maybe can't figure it out as much. But that's kind of the human struggle, right? Isn't that kind of the human condition? Um, it's learning how to master our state of mind, how to find somewhere in the middle, a middle ground. And, you know, I talk about this with animal training and dog training a lot that I kind of look at it as life is really about balance. Every animal on this planet, we all want one thing. One thing, that's it. One. Stability. Because stability brings us safety. Stability brings us happiness when you think about it, whether that be, uh, or again, relationship, personal stabilities, professional stability in a, in a job, financial stability, right? That's really all animals are looking for. And, and if you think about any animal on this planet, that's all they ever want, stability in their lives. And we create stability through mechanisms of control. And I believe the only way to create a balanced form of control is through a balanced state of mind, you know? And it's hard. <laughs> it's downright hard to get yourself in a good state of mind sometimes. And like I said, you know, it's, it's really, it's the human condition. It's what we all strive for, I think, and work toward. And, uh, you know, myself included. And, and I, I really, I've tried in the past meditation and things like that, and maybe not as consistent as I should, but I do, I I do know that working with animals and being able to step back and try to reflect upon myself as a person and, and personal growth and things like that, I've come a long way from where I was <laughs> when I was younger with, with patience, with um, just thinking things through more, you know, that, that kind of stuff that comes with age and maturity. And again, state of mind. That's, that's what I kind of look at it as. It's, it's a state of mind. And, and the more you can find that middle ground, the happier you are. That's what I believe. And I think it's the same thing with dogs. The more a dog can be balanced the more any animal can be balanced in their lives, I think the happier they're going to be. Now, again, let's not get into the ethical debate of what depth of emotions animals have and how do you define if a dog is happy or not. I think that's going to be a segment for another day coming up soon because that is a, a controversial topic. Oh, man, it is. And some of you might hate me after that segment. Some of you might love me even more. I don't know. You may hate my show after that, after that one, but it's something we have to discuss. So, we're going to get to that. And so, you know, I want to make that distinction right now. When I talk about a dog's state of mind, I am not talking about their emotions necessarily. While emotions might be involved in there in some level, everything I do is based on psychology because I believe it has to be. I think the second I start trying to judge and, and really quantify and quantify what an animal's emotions are, 
uh, dangerous road, slippery slope. We'll talk about that for a different day. So when I talk about state of mind, more of what I'm talking about is reading an animal's behavior. And that's how I come to a conclusion of relaxed state of mind versus anxious state of mind versus those kinds of things when I talk about a dog and their behavior. Okay, so when I talk about state of mind, it's all based off of observing an animal's body language, observing their behavior, having an understanding of their natural body language, their natural behavior, and being able to kind of come away with a, okay, they're anxious, they're calm, they're this, right? Okay, so just, just making that distinction of, I'm not talking about reading an animal's emotions. I'm talking about reading their body language and working on training and behavior, okay? Coming from that perspective and that standpoint, right? So let's, let's dive into this. Your dog's state of mind. <laughs> Arguably, guys, it's more important than our own. It really is. And I, and I say this because dogs only have a one-track mind. They can only focus on one thing at a time. Literally. Literally? <laughs> Chris Jager had it right, guys. Literally, dogs can only focus on one thing at a time. So it's very important that you know where their focus is and you have the ability to guide and direct that focus because having the ability to guide and direct that focus and, and control that, that mind is what's going to be able to teach them to settle and be calm. Okay. So let's talk about how to get your dog there. How do we get our dogs in a good state of mind? The first way is exercise <laughs> always comes back to it. More exercise, more stimulation, more boundaries, more rules, more discipline. And of course, more affection too. But too much affection can be bad. Too much, too many rules and boundaries can also be equally as bad. It, it can. You don't want to be too rigid, but you don't want to be too flexible. Guess what that is? That's balance. Balance is what creates a dog's a good a dog's a good dog's <laughs> goodness. Your dog's good state of mind. Does that, okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Oh man, I can talk. I promise. Um, <laughs> okay, so how do we get them there? Yes, exercise, exercise, guys. I promise you, that's where it starts. It always starts with a good walk. It really does. And you know what I want to talk about here is I'm going to give you an example because tonight was awesome. I had a good session with my client. Second session. Um, and I want to use, use it as an example because, uh, this is, this is a rescue dog. You know, she rescued this dog. Amazing. Thank you for doing that, by the way, of course. Um, and it, the dog is anxious, you know, she's got some anxiety issues, rightfully so. She came in to the rescue a little skinny, you know, and anytime a dog is a little skinny, it definitely puts them in, in a worse state of mind because, they're more in that fight or flight mode and they're really going with that hierarchy of needs and they need, you know, they, they want to eat. So it can almost make them a little more panicky, a little more anxious when they're, when they're doing that. So she's working on getting some weight on the dog, of course, you know, uh, and, and training's a process, but you know, what I was discovering is that, and this is common, this is a common problem, rescue dog or not, right? Everybody knows it. Walking out the front door can be a very excitable thing. And her dog's getting very, very excited. <laughs> she's a happy girl, and that's great. That's awesome. That's that's the nice thing. She is. She's a very uh, happy little dog. Said I wasn't going to talk about emotions, but hey, you know. Um, again, we're not getting in depth on what I measure as happy, and I'm going to talk about that right now. <laughs> um, but she gets excitable going outside, as most dogs do, and her state of mind is very accelerated. And when a dog's state of mind is that accelerated, it's very hard to redirect and control it. 
So, you know, the dog definitely gets excitable at, at, at triggers outside at exciting things, people, kids playing, uh, noises she loves balls. She's obsessive. The dog is obsessive about balls. So tennis balls, basketballs, you name it. Um, so that's something we're going to have to work on too, that we'll get to in the training. But the point is, if I start my dog off, any dog, if I start off and I walk outside and we're in an overexcited, frantic state of mind, and I just keep walking down the driveway, then all we're doing is telling them, hey, this is what you should do to, to get out on the walk and get out and get closer to all the craziness is pull, pull, pull and be excited to be crazy. So just by walking down the driveway, we're actually reinforcing and strengthening that state of mind. Unfortunately, I, most people, and look, again, I'm not trying to pick on buddy, anybody or be a Debbie Downer here, but look, guys, unfortunately, most people think that we are supposed to reinforce overexcited behaviors with dogs. But we actually think it's normal to reinforce a frantic state of mind in dogs. We, we think that that's what a dog is. Dogs are supposed to be frantic and, and panting and, and constantly looking and, and jumping. And, uh, uh, uh. For some reason, we think that that's normal. Now, luckily this client does not. And I want to make sure I make that, that distinguishing factor right there. I look, she's, she's phenomenal. She gets it. She sees it. She understands it. She's missing a couple pieces to the puzzle and that's why I'm here. Um, and that's awesome. And, and I love clients that just are rolling with it, you know? Um, so I'm not picking on her at all. Uh, she gets it. She understands. <laughs> we don't want to reinforce that kind of frantic behavior in a dog. Like, think about that. Why? I don't understand why people want to make dogs frantic and want to reinforce and strengthen that. I just don't get it. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of going off on a side note here because I said, let's talk about how to get your dog calm. And here I am doing this. All right, so let's get back on track. How do we get our dog calm? So at this appointment tonight, um, all I did was I took my time. I took my time walking out the front door. As opposed to just letting her, you know, pull me down the driveway, I slowed down. I made some corrections. I turned around and walked back in the house when she got too well, back inside at least a little bit when she got a little frantic. Once she calmed down, turn around and walk back out. Even if I only get five feet out the door and then she starts getting frantic again, guess what? Turn around, go back in, calm it down, get her to look at me, regain focus, reinforce and strengthen that focus with treats and praise. Wait till she calms down a little bit, then we try to move forward again. Now, what I what I show people, what's what's cool is you can kind of actually, you can start predicting when they're going to pull again. <laughs> and what I mean is what I'll do, okay, so I'm, I'm doing this back and forth, right? Every time we walk out the door, if the dog starts pulling me, I turn around and go back inside. Now, when the dog starts pulling me, I will look at the ground and put an imaginary line to my head, <clears throat> excuse me, imaginary line, <laughs> jeez, put an imaginary line in my head of where that dog started pulling me. I'm just full of noises and can't talk tonight, huh? Um, <laughs> and the second I redirect and turn around and get her calm, the second I turn around and try to go back down the, you know, down the path again, I'll look where that imaginary line is. And wouldn't you know it, the second we hit that imaginary line, the dog starts pulling again. So they turn around and redirect. Usually, when I turn around and try to go back toward the imaginary line, I'll get another foot or two past that imaginary line, and that's where they'll start pulling again. And you'll see this pattern created of we'll be able to get a foot further each time with the dog being calm, and then they start to pull again. So I already know when we get back to that imaginary line, if I can head them off by redirecting or correcting their focus and behavior before they even pull, 
then they're less likely to keep pulling. Look, it's really simple. If the dog pulls and it gets them what they want, they're going to keep pulling. Whereas if the dog pulls and they don't get what they want, they don't get to keep walking down the driveway, they don't, and as a matter of fact, we turn around and go the opposite direction, they start realizing, oh, every time I pull, I don't get what I want. But every time the, the leash gets relaxed and the leash stops tightening around me, because, right, the dogs will, will pull until they start, looks like they're choking themselves, right? I mean, how many times have you seen a dog in a regular old nylon clip collar that they're, they're four feet in front of the owner, the collar's tight pulled against their neck, and they're, but they're still yanking their owner down the road, right? It's because that dog has literally been conditioned and taught, if I pull, I keep making progress. I keep getting exactly what I want. Cool, I'm going to keep pulling. That's what I'm supposed to do to get what I want. But if I teach that dog again, every time you pull, you don't get what you want. We go the opposite direction. And then every time you're relaxed, we keep moving forward. Every time that leash is loose, we keep moving forward. Right? So what I'm actually reinforcing is calm state of mind, we move forward. And when you know it, just by redirecting focus and providing that consequence and reward there, the dog actually started slowing down tonight. The tail wagging went from frantic to none, to calm. The focus went from, let me find trouble and where are the lizards, to, hey, David, what are, you, uh, what, are we, what are we doing? Can I sit here and look up at you and wait till we're moving? No, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect by any means. Night and day, just in about 10 minutes, though. Okay? And this is the tough part. 10 minutes. You could end up spending 30 minutes just getting to the end of your driveway. I know. It's not ideal. But if you put in the time you put in the effort and you put in the, uh, the, the practice and the exercise for 30 minutes, then guess what? Tomorrow, it's only going to be 28 minutes. And if you stick with it, same thing. Third day, it's going to be 25. So on and so forth that within just a handful of days, weeks, maybe a little longer sometimes, depending on the rescue and what you got going on with your dog. Training's a process, guys. But you'll be surprised how quickly you can make progress if you just only condition and strengthen the things you like, the behaviors you like, behaviors you find acceptable. But if you let your dog pull, then that's what they think is acceptable. If you let your dog be in a frantic state of mind, that's what they think is acceptable. Okay? So state of mind is very vital for training. Look, it's no different with children, right? If I have a kid who's just crazy and they haven't gotten any of their energy out, how in the world do I expect them to sit still for eight hours in school and, and pay attention, right? That's why kids have recess. That's why we have extracurriculars and sports. And it's ways for kids to get the physical side out. And I want my dog to do the same thing in order to create a good state of mind, right? Look, uh, last segment, we talked about the drop it. And when your dog starts finding trouble, when your dog starts finding trouble, they get them, you know, it usually means they're understimulated. And it usually means they're not in a good state of mind. So, Something as simple as slowing down how you walk out the door and get down the driveway can slow your dog's brain down. And when the brain slows down, the dog actually starts thinking about what they're, wait, how did I get that treat? Wait, I, pulling didn't get me anything. Wait, relaxing got me. All of a sudden, your dog is slowing down and they're actually putting themselves in a better state of mind by doing that. Teaching your dog to focus is where it starts, guys. Okay. If your dog doesn't know how to focus, you can't get them in a good state of mind. But something as simple as taking your time getting out the front door and walking down the driveway and slowing their brain down 
can go a long way. Look, I'll take you to the next, to the second half of our appointment tonight. Okay. The first half was, was honestly, was just spending time getting down the driveway, getting out the door and getting her, getting the dog to focus and calm down a little bit. Once we got that, we needed to bring a distraction out. We brought one of my dogs out tonight. Um, and Miss Violet, love her to death. She is my awesome new buddy. <laughs> awesome new buddy. She's been my new buddy on, on, on appointments for a while. Like I said, you know, I talked about her a couple episodes back and, um, she's really been amazing, amazing on appointments lately. I feel like since we lost Penny, she's really kind of stepped it up to the plate, um, stepped up to the plate and really has gone to bat for, for the nature of training team <laughs> and really helping dogs, you know? And tonight was no different. She was so phenomenal. And so we, we brought out my dog, Violet, and we taught my client's dog to start ignoring distractions, which would be Violet. Now, it started in a frantic state, right? Her dog kind of got more frantic, obviously excitable. Here's a dog. Here's a fun dog. And so what we, you know what we didn't do? We didn't let them say hi. Not right away, at least. They got to say hi before the appointment was over. But we waited until her dog was in a calm state. Not just waited. We had to work through it. And, you know, we're not going to go over every detail of this. But the point is, we had to take our time and work through it to get her dog in a better state of mind. Once her dog was in a little better state of mind from 20 feet away from Violet, we worked her dog to 10 feet away from Violet. Then we worked her dog to stopping in front of Violet and being able to be calm with both of them sitting still. Then we worked on trying to go for a little walk together and then being calm. Um, and, and by the end, we were able to kind of just hang out next to each other to the point that once my client's dog was nice and calm, Violet actually initiated the first hello. But Violet literally waited. Violet wanted nothing to do with my client's dog until that dog was in a good state of mind. This is what I, this is my favorite part about my job, guys. There's the proof in the pudding right there. Violet literally did not make eye contact with this client's dog, with my client's dog, with the, with the exception of maybe in passing, but that was, that was, that was well into, well into working with this dog. The point is, Violet took her time because Violet knew this dog is in a frantic state and engaging a dog like that could, could, could lead to trouble. And not to mention, Violet doesn't want to reinforce that behavior by giving that dog what it wants because it's being frantic. It's not in a good state of mind. Oh, I love it. Like literally the, the, the animals show you, they show you the way, like how cool is that? Oh, I love it. I love it. Violet literally was avoiding that dog's eye contact because she didn't want to reinforce that bad state of mind. Once that dog calmed down, that's when Violet initiated. You can learn so much from your dog if you know what to pay attention to and know how to listen to them right? Violet's not talking to me. <laughs> not, not in a way we understand. And I still don't believe she's talking to me. But animals know how to communicate with each other. You know, they do. They know how to communicate on their level, on a level that a dog can understand. And it's amazing how state of mind to them is so important. We've all heard of the pack mentality, guys. What is the pack mentality? The pack mentality is state of mind. The pack mentality, mind, right? State of mind is everything to the health and well-being of a pack. And the pack will create boundaries, rules, discipline, and affection in order to create a stable-minded pack of dogs. Don't forget that. Really, 
I mean, I, I, you can't, you can't, literally the proof is just right in front of you. So look, guys, everything I preach, everything I talk about, I, I do it because I love it. It's my passion, but I do it because it's so logical when you think about it. And that's something I love about my job. It's science. It's, it's provable to some degree, right? We won't get into the emotional side because I can't prove a dog's emotions. <laughs> Topic for a different day. But what I can prove, what is tangible proof is behavior. Is, you know, the fact that Violet will ignore a dog who's in a bad state of mind, but a calm dog, she'll immediately initiate and engage. What does that tell you? That animals crave balance. That animals crave a calm state of mind. And I believe we do too. I truly believe that. And I believe those of us that are not calm or, hey, we all do it. We all get out of balance sometimes. We do. But I think we get out of balance in order to learn how to find that balance again. And that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? Trying to create that balance as a more permanent state. And the one thing I love about dogs is they're, they're, they're a lot easier <laughs> to create that balance with them. It is. It's a lot easier to create that balance of state of mind with your dog, but you have to get them there. You have to slow their brains down. You have to teach them that relaxation is what gets them something. Okay. The one thing I haven't talked about, one more thing that I want to touch on today is just that pretty simple thing. It's a pretty simple concept, guys. Anytime your dog, this is a great rule to live by. Anytime your dog relaxes, anytime, Anytime, I don't care what, what the circumstances, anytime your dog relaxes, we're going to reinforce it. Let me tell you about the different levels of relaxation, right? We've got a dog standing on all fours. We have a dog sitting down, but not with their legs kicked out, right? So these are the different levels. We're starting at the least level of relaxed. We're going to go to the most relaxed. Standing on all fours, dog sitting, but not with their legs kicked out, right? Butt straight to the ground. Dog sitting with the legs kicked out. Dog lying straight down with the legs not kicked out, right? They're straight down. They're ready to pop up. Then there's a dog lying down with their legs kicked out. Then there's a dog totally passed out asleep on their side, right? Totally relaxed. Those are the different states of relaxation. And I I guarantee you, if you start working your dog a little bit, you start teaching them and reinforcing relaxation. So again, even if I'm just hanging out in my house and my dog goes over and lays down on the dog bed, I'm going to go, hey, good boy, throw, toss him a treat, be done. If I ask for a lie down, they do a good boy, toss a tree. But whether you're asking for it or not, I like to, I would almost say strengthen that behavior when the dog does it on their own. When your dog goes and relaxes on their own, that's the more important time to strengthen and reinforce it. And what you'll discover is if you start reinforcing relaxing behaviors, your dog is going to be what? More likely to want to be relaxed. Oh, relaxing gets me something? Cool. I'm going to go relax now. It's that simple, guys. But if what you reinforce is craziness and overexcitement, and oh my God, blah, 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 and that's all you ever do, and you're all you're only ever frantic to your dog, and oh, and and then your dog just pants all the time and is fra- is, uh, I, that's what you're reinforcing and strengthening, and that's not what you should be doing. I'm just going to be blunt about it. There's no other way to say it. You should not be making your dog frantic and anxious. So there's the one other thing I wanted to talk about, guys. Reinforce and strengthen calm behaviors in your dog. When you go outside with your dog, take your time and be sure you're reinforcing and strengthening calm behaviors on leash. 
pulling you is not a calm behavior. The dog frantically darting its focus everywhere is not a calm behavior. Your dog jumping all over everybody is not a calm behavior. Your dog biting the leash and walking you, isn't it cute? No, it's not a calm behavior. Think about what you're reinforcing in your dog mentally. Think of the state of mind that you're reinforcing. Because that's how you create state of mind, guys, is through that always goes back to reinforcement, punishment. Believe it or not, you can punish calm state of mind. I watch people do it all the time. That's why your dog's frantic. Well, maybe you have a rescue, but people that have had their dogs since they were puppies and the dog's a frantic lunatic and they go, I don't know why he's always been like this, because that's what you reinforced. You actually punished calm behavior in that dog and you reinforced and strengthened frantic, anxious behaviors. Yeah, I know, truth bomb, sorry, (laughs) but it's the truth, guys, it's the truth, okay? So if you want your dog to be calm, if you want to create a healthy, stable dog that has a good state of mind, it starts with what you reinforce and strengthen, and you always want to reinforce and strengthen calm behavior in your dog. Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Chinese Crested Dog. The Chinese Crested Dog is a member of the toy group, and they are affectionate, alert, and social little dogs. The Chinese Crested is an immediately recognizable breed, right, because they come in that hairless variety, or they also come in a coated variety. The hairless variety does have a a very soft skin, tufts on their head, tail, and ankles. And of course, one major advantage of the hairless variety is the lack of shedding and dog odor. These dogs are pretty chill, and they make an excellent companion dog. Although they do love to relax and hang out, they still do need a short daily walk and some playtime. They're pretty agile little pups, though, and can even do well at agility training, lure coursing, and more. Caring for the Chinese Crested does come with a few things to be aware of. Responsible breeders will screen for certain eye diseases that they are prone to get. And although the hairless variety comes with its advantages, it also creates some health issues and more upkeep. Being that their skin is exposed to the sun, they are susceptible to sunburn, skin irritations, and allergies. They need sunscreen for protection and acne lotions to keep them healthy. In the coated variety, their undercoat is shorter rather than longer, uh, rather than the longer overlay, which is opposite of most haired breeds. Now, while this makes it easier to brush them, it also makes it easier and quicker for mats to form. So being on top of that grooming is very important. But kept in good health, the Chinese Crested can live to be 13 to 18 years old. The Chinese Crested really did not originate in China. Now, actually, originally, large, hairless dogs were most likely brought back from Africa by Chinese sailors. The Chinese then bred these dogs down in size, you know, as they did with many breeds in the ancient world, such as the Shih Tzu and the Pekingese. Early names for the Chinese Crested were the Chinese Edible Dog, the Chinese Ship Dog, and the Chinese Royal Hairless. The Chinese bred these dogs specifically for vermin hunting, and the breed became notorious for accompanying sailors on their boats and catching rats and mice. During the Age of Discovery, when European sailors, uh, European explorers were visiting new lands and new ports, they documented actually seeing hairless dog breeds in ports in Central and South America, Africa, and even Asia. This, of course, was attributed to the Chinese sailors that had been there before the Europeans. The Chinese crested did not make its way into the United States until the late 1800s. 
Journalist Ida Garrett and breeder Deborah Woods have been credited with helping to promote the breed in the U.S. at that time, but it wasn't until 1979 the American Chinese Crested Club was formed, and in 1991 they were entered into the AKC. This unusual-looking breed has definitely garnered some nicknames over the years, though the best one is the Dr. Seuss dog, that being a reference to the many crazy creatures of the Seuss world that bear a striking resemblance. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Shayna from Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Shayna says, My dog has a weird habit. He comes in the house after a big walk, goes over to his water bowl, and spins a few times before he takes a drink. But after the walk is the only time he will do this. Is this bad, and should I stop it? Yeah, interesting question. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a very particular habit, isn't it? You know, going over to the bowl only at that one time, doing the spins, then drinking. Yeah, you know, that's you kind of have to like think about that. It's like, well, let's see. Um, he's not, you know, he's not doing anything obsessive to harm himself. Some dogs will lick obsessively to the point that they'll rip hair off out of an anxious uh, displacement. You know, I, not knowing anything more about about your dog, about the quality of the walk, things like that, I would say there's nothing horribly wrong with it. But my rule of thumb is always, I don't like anything obsessive. You know, that's that's behavioral with a person, a dog, a cat, it doesn't matter. I don't think any obsessive behavior is necessarily healthy. So, I, you know, if it were me, if I were in your shoes, if this were a client, if it were my dog, yeah, I, I personally would stop it you know, just not let him do it. Keep him leashed up when you come back in the house. And if he goes to start spinning or better yet, right before he's going to start spinning, right? Make a little correction, make a little redirection, maybe even just call his name and try to get him to sit, give him a treat, and then let him go to the bowl. He might try to go right back into the spin. Same thing, try to redirect him out of it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, is it good or bad? Look, my rule of thumb is that obsessive things are not a good thing. So yeah, it's probably leans more toward bad. <laughs> Should you stop it? Yes, I would. Anything obsessive, like I said, I'm going to want to stop that. Try redirecting it. Try to take his mind off of it uh, and then let him drink. But it's it's fad. That's that's an interesting one that is very particular like that. So I just kind of you know, find that very interesting. Next question. This comes from Jamie from Bren Mawr, Pennsylvania. A lot of Northeastern listeners loving it. Uh, my dog is a good boy most of the time, Jamie says. There is one behavior I would really like to curb. I like to let him have outside time in the backyard, which is fenced, but he can see through to the street, through the fence, and will bark obsessively at anybody or anything he sees. It is to a point that he is only concerned with being at the fence when he's in the backyard. The barking is also driving my neighbors crazy. What do I do? Yeah, Jamie, that's never good. You know, it's the same thing. It's an obsessive behavior, right? We don't we don't want obsessive behaviors. It's not a good thing. You know it. Um, look, easiest ways go go back to basics. Leash up leash up your dog. You can either use just a regular six foot leash and be over there with your dog. You know, obviously, you can't leave your dog unattended 
in the backyard, that's the first thing for a little while because you don't want to not be able to be out there and not be able to redirect that barking and stop the barking. Um, so you're definitely going to want to leash them up. I would even recommend, look, if you've got a pretty big backyard, uh, if it's a decent sized space, look, even if it, if, if it doesn't even have to be that big of a backyard, I would get a 20, 30, and again, depending on how big your yard's, maybe even a 50 foot long training leash. Now I've talked about these training leashes before. You can find them at pet stores. You can find them on Amazon. It is a nylon leash. That's just like a six foot leash. It's just going to be longer, right? But the point is it allows you from a distance to be able to redirect your dog back toward you. Maybe start working on a recall, Jamie. Maybe that's a good idea. Start working on your recall, getting your dog to come back to you by calling them. Uh, I've talked about a recall before on, on uh, one of my previous segments. So feel free to go back and find that and check that out. Um, but working on a recall is a good way to redirect your dog away from from uh, distractions like that. They get them to come to you, you get them to come to you. You reward that behavior, and before you know it, it's more fun to come and listen to you than it is to bark obsessively at someone out there. So, I you know barking may never fully go away because the dog is supposed to bark at something that's you know maybe not outside their property, right? Um, but being able to manage that, being able to control that, and being able to redirect that and tell them to stop. That's the key component to it that's important. So I would start with a recall, leash them up so you can redirect them away from the barking, and of course, always strengthen and reward once they give up on the barking or stop barking at all, okay? That's what it has, that's what it's, where it's gonna have to start. You know, again, you're not gonna be able to leave your dog unmonitored outside for a little while because you need to be able to guide and direct and control their behavior, and of course, like I said, be able to strengthen and reinforce once your dog does stop barking. The answer to today's trivia question, what mammal has the strongest bite in the world? It's the powerful, formidable, and sometimes dangerous hippopotamus. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, go ahead and do so. Follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Send those dog training and animal questions my way. Questions at speakadogcast.com. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, as always, get out there and walk your dog. Oh, 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 oh